0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Evolution Medicine Podcast with Joe Alcock and Coffee Brown. And I'm excited. I'm excited this week.
1: Well, I am because this topic interests me, though I admit that our connections with evolution may be a little uh, tangential. This Maybe. is kind of a special interest to me.
0: But and, and me too. But we'll flavor it with some evolutionary thinking. Speaking of which, what is it? What are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about self-driving cars.
1: So this is something that clearly is coming. I mean, we're going to talk about pros and cons, but it's going to happen. I don't think there's very much question about that. Well, do you think there is?
0: I think there's question about the timing. People have debated about how fast it's going to happen. Timing, degree, how mandatory will it be? Right. But it is coming. It's going to happen soon. I'll tell you, coffee. I own a Tesla. It's a Model S. And my version of the Tesla that I bought in 2015 had their Autopilot One functionality. That's it, what they call auto steer. It's traffic aware, cruise control. It has little ultrasonic sensors and a radar detector and a camera, and it works pretty well. Now it's not complete autonomy. The car will not drive itself if I fall asleep <laughs> for any length of time, but it does pretty well in terms of just maintaining its lane and, and driving. And this was uh, 2015, that's four years ago. But I do remember Elon Musk and others talking about this back in 2015, and they made it sound like full autonomy, like sleeping in your car, playing a board game, not paying attention to anything whatsoever, but that was happening really fast, and that we'd see it within about five years. Well, famously, a Tesla with about this level
1: of autonomy was involved in a fatal uh, motor vehicle accident, but it was being driven as if it were fully autonomous, and so one of the concerns I have is that I think they either, uh, I kind of want them to be all or nothing. Now, actually the suite of applications you described sounds great to me, but I would have called it driver assist rather than level one autonomy or something because I think that tricked the driver into thinking the car could do more than it could. I remember when cruise control was a new feature and people died on the freeway because they would put the car in cruise control and then take their hands off the wheel and take a nap. That literally occurred. Sure. And the same thing might happen with autopilot. Well, with true autopilot, that's exactly what you should do, is take your hands off the controls and take a nap. But with semi-autopilot, or what I would have called driver-assist technology, but under the wrong name, this guy made this mistake. He trusted the car to take itself where it needed to go, and it wasn't quite ready for that.
0: But I'm thinking our topic today is cars that actually are fully autonomous. Right. Well, there are, so there are levels of autonomy. And this kind of gets into details but just for definition's sake my car the tesla model s that i'm driving has an autopilot which is level two and level two is partial automation that's driver assist exactly what you're describing yeah that. so level four is they call it high automation but that's the scenario in which you can fall asleep in your car it mm-hmm. picks you up you can sit in the back seat you can fall asleep you can you know, do whatever you want to do um, so that's level four autom- automation level four automation doesn't doesn't exist on a commercial level right now at least you can't buy a car you and me can't go out and buy a car with level four automation but google through their division of waymo that's what they're working on and their cars they claim are capable of level four autonomy but you bring up a good point coffee you mentioned that when it's when it's when it's shy of that level four autonomy and you have to maintain some degree of attention that that can be problematic Now, one of the articles you sent me was, never mind automation, bring back the stick shift.
1: The idea being that if you drive a manual, you're forced to pay attention constantly. And according to this driver's, uh, this uh, writer's data, you're actually safer because you're paying attention to everything all the time. When I drive a stick shift, I actually, and I learned on a stick shift, I'm comfortable with a stick shift. But I wouldn't say that it makes me feel more attentive to the road. I feel constantly distracted by that damn clutch and stick shift. At least
0: in town, where you're constantly shifting, it's like a full-time job. You know? Yeah, it's, it's work. You're sort of rowing through the, the transmission. Um, it's kind of fun. You can use the gears to slow down. I've had several manual cars during my life. But at this point, I'm going to go with the fullest degree of autonomy that I can buy. So...
1: The, uh, this, the article about Bring Back the Stick Shift yeah. would say that with that degree of driver assist, you're not forced to maintain attention, and so you won't maintain as much attention. Um, I don't know. My mind is usually on the road and on the cars around me. I don't feel like the stick shift helps me to pay better attention to that. But I'm funny. I don't either like or dislike driving. It's like brushing my teeth. I do it.
0: I don't hate it. I don't love it. I just do it. It's just a job. I like it sometimes, and there are times when I don't. So the article we're referring to is this opinion piece in the New York Times. It's dated March 23rd. It's by Dr. Thakar, T-H-A-K-K-A-R. He's a psychiatrist. And he cites a study that was done among teenage boys with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. (laughs) And he showed that study purported to show that manual transmissions resulted in safer, more attentive driving. Having said that, I clicked on the link. I looked it up. It's a tiny pilot study. Involves just a few kids, all boys. And they did driving on a simulator. And explicitly selected for non-standard psychology. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about standard psychology for a second. So I think what we're getting at, the underlying evolutionary part of this, is that this is a mismatch problem. Our bodies, our brains, our sensory systems, our cognition, all these things evolved in a world without cars in a world without a lot of things that we think of as being modern, but in a world without stick shifts, a world without automatic transmissions, certainly a world without Tesla Model S's that have autopilot, all these things. So this presents a problem when our biology and our brains have evolved in, on African savannah in which probably the fastest moving object might've been 50 miles an hour, maybe a cheetah, but we simply can't, we've not evolved to deal with driving at 90 miles an hour. You mentioned coffee in a previous podcast about how we tend to overestimate risk, say, associated with Islamic terrorism. But this is an area of driving in which we underestimate risk. Well, we do both, but we overestimate risks
1: which are exotic or colorful, um, and we underestimate risks which are routine. Yeah. Um, Driving also, is I think dangerous. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. We underestimate it because we do it all the time. Yeah. But it's also how a lot of us die. Although, as you mentioned
0: a little, a short few minutes ago before we started the recording, uh, probably more of us are dying of opioids now. Yeah. But that is an interesting statistic. Yeah. So, in terms of accidental deaths, automobile accidents have been way up there. That they, they do account for about thirty-five thousand deaths per year. And I. Pulled up an image. Oh, here it is. This is from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And in 2016, 37,000 people were killed. But if you look at the graphic, and we'll post this on the on the blog, the number of total deaths is actually declining from a peak that happened about 1970. It looks like. So this is in the Ralph Nader era, unsafe at any speeds, when the Chevy Corvair came out. And the per mile. Uh, fatality rate
1: has has dropped so enormously that I'm going to count this on the con side. That is, one of the arguments against autonomous cars, you might say, is that driving has become so safe on a per mile basis that we don't need robots to help us. Now, I will, uh, so full disclosure here, I'm on the pro side. I'm a big fan of autonomous cars, but we haven't talked about the thing I'm a fan of yet. We're, we're talking about a primitive prototype semi autonomous level of car so far. Uh, and the thing I want to talk about is fully autonomous robot cars a right. little bit
0: later. So, with this statistic, though, of 37,000 people dying yearly, it has been recently surpassed by opioid overdose, overdose deaths. Yeah, pretty, spooky which is there. pretty amazing. So, in terms of uh, avoidable accidental deaths. Opioids are now the, now the number one.
1: And I think a great topic for a future podcast, too, because a lot of our evolutionary psychology plays into
0: that. Yeah. Um, why but, are we vulnerable to opioids? Why, do, why, do, why is addiction so hard to break? Those kinds of things. So, yeah. Coming Stay back to the cars,
1: though, uh, that one. you mentioned that Ralph Nader really jumped on this thing in the 1960s, and he did. made a big difference. Uh, we've talked about this a little before. One of the evolutionary highlights of this discussion is risk titration. When cars became safer because of airbags and ABS braking, uh, for a little while, fatality rates dropped sharply, and then they rose again, which confused uh, safety engineers until they discovered this trait that we have called risk titration. Mm. If you make me safer, I take more chances. I do some sort of internal calculation between how much of a hurry am I in, how much of a thrill do I want, how much energy do I want to invest in attentional tasks versus how scared am I of getting
0: mutilated or becoming a quadriplegic or something? And there's also a bit of how much other people will pay attention to you based on this too. So I'm thinking about helmets and bicycles. Mm-hmm. So I, we should again remind the audience that we're both emergency physicians and I'm going to be working in the ED a li- later on today. Very likely that we'll see some car accident victims. And besides the deaths there's a huge amount of morbidity. There are 10 to 20 times as many people that end up getting injured in car accidents and, and quite severely, uh, but also bicycle accidents. So, we have a role traditionally in emergency medicine to promote public health and public safety interventions like mandatory helmet use for bicyclists uh, and also supporting things like seatbelt use in cars. But there's a flip side, it sounds like, is what you're saying, Co- Coffee.
1: Well, then as we make people safer, they take more chances. So the kid with the helmet, for example, may be less afraid to try to spin out his bike on a sandy asphalt pavement and fall and hit his head. Um, he'll, he'll take chances he might not have taken without the helmet. Would be the way that this would play out in, in that particular context. Um, And so if you
0: think that your car is going to protect you from crashes, then maybe you become less attentive and take more risks. Yeah,
1: you drive stupider, which is why I'm talking about cars that take over all of the cognitive load. Cars that take over a partial load, I think um, there will be, there's this full spectrum from a car that doesn't help you at all to a car that helps you, that does everything for you. And I think there's an, a range in there where they actually become more dangerous. They take enough off your plate to make you inattentive, but not enough off your plate to make you safe. And that is
0: absolutely where I would not want to see us land. And we're kind of in that little bit of a valley right now. Might be. I, I think that that's Might probably be. true. So just to, again, recap for the audience, Google is working on full autonomy. So driver has to pay no attention to this whatsoever through their Waymo division. And Uber and others are, are doing something similar. Uh, Tesla aims to get to full self-driving, but they have deployed partial self-driving features like the autopilot functionality that I've already mentioned. They've done it already. But Coffee, you're saying that that might lull people into a false sense of security.
1: There is some some range of assistance in there that I think would lull us into a false sense of security. Now, you mentioned uh, some of this. We bring our experiences as emergency physicians to... One of the things we see is an awful lot of the stuff that lands you in the emergency room is not under your control. And an awful lot of the stuff that puts you in the emergency room is under your control. And by the way, I've certainly made my share of operator errors standing on ladders and doing other dangerous things. You sure. know, flying kites with keys on them and lightning or something. Um, <laughs> the point is, there's, there's avoidable and non-avoidable. There's forced and non-forced errors. In the case of automotive deaths, although the per-mile rate of automotive death has dropped sharply, still all of us know of someone or know someone personally who has died or been maimed or something in an auto accident, we drive a lot more miles per person than we used to, so that somewhat offsets that. And although the rate is much lower than it's been in the past, it's still high enough to be a very important cause of death, of morbidity and mortality, And the uh, national highway safety statistics clearly show that the overwhelming majority of these are unforced errors, meaning something autonomous cars could, in
0: principle, correct. Yeah, so the benefit of an autonomous software suite on your car is that they don't fall asleep, they don't get distracted with their cell phone, they're not fiddling with the radio, they're not being distracted by other people. Uh, Other things going on in the life of the robot car is not going to make a difference. So at least in theory, the promise is that it's going to be attentive all the time and it has the potential to be far more attentive than a human, both in terms of processing speed and also in terms of the the hardware suite. So a modern Tesla comes with ultrasonics. It has something like six different cameras. I should look that one up. Uh, It has a radar detector. Um, Other companies use LiDAR, which is a laser-based visual detection system that provides a 3D map of the environment. So we only have two eyes and we have our ears to rely on. uh, That's where we get all of our inputs. And the promise of these autonomous features is they can do do it so much better than us. Maybe we can get that 37,000 deaths per year down to something much lower. One more point to bring up is that we shouldn't just be US-centric the number worldwide is even worse. We're pretty good. Oh, that's true. If you look at YouTubes of some
1: uh, other countries, busy intersections, you're like, oh my God, how can people learn to drive safely in that? And the answer is that they don't. Automotive uh, fatality and injury statistics in many other parts of the world are drastically worse than they are here. People who think we're overregulated should really be more aware of the drastic reduction in the
0: number of injuries those regulations have led to. Right, so this is shocking. According to the World Health Organization, 1.25 million people die in road crashes every year, on average 3,287 deaths per day.
1: And of that, although we account for about 20% of the world's population, we only account for less than 40,000 of those 1.25 million deaths. So, I mean, the regulations and the sort of rules of the road that we have here have made us hard to even estimate
0: difference you know mathematically that difference is literally orders of magnitude we've talked about the promise i'm looking forward to a day in which most cars have some of these features and can also talk to each other we could avoid some of these accidents that was
1: the next thing i was going to get to
0: besides having
1: more senses than we do they also can communicate with each other so you know the old cb truckers "Uh, watch out there's a smoky behind that sign five miles up the road well, these cars would have that information, but it would be things like there's a huge pothole you should steer around or there's a car accident in such and such a place or the road is really slippery in such and such a place. The cars can all communicate this with each other uh, directly or through a central uh, communicator of some kind. If you start to change lanes, there's somebody in your blind spot, your car, th- that car will say to your car, hey, 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 pal, there's somebody in this blind spot. And it'll be like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to,
0: didn't mean to invade your space. And there's not a pile of broken bodies. That's one area of driver assistance that I think that we can all agree on. In fact, my dad, who's very skeptical of Tesla, skeptical of kind of new technology, he was 100% in favor of having some kind of blind spot detection warning in in his car, and so that's what he bought. Well, my list of cons is gigantic. It's
1: truly as big as my list of pros. Oh, my gosh. We're looking over this list of... uh, But let (laughs) me paint for a second... A picture of why I'm a fan of it. So, first of all, when I say autonomous cars, I mean truly autonomous. I mean, there's no steering wheel. You get in, you tell it where you want to go, and you take a nap till you get there, or you work on your taxes, or you play games on your iPad, or something. You literally forget about the entire trip, and after a while, it says, ding ding, we're here. It's as if you had a driver. Um, yeah, chauffeur. Yeah, chauffeur. And the cars take over completely. In my vision, all of the cars on the road are doing this. So, so your car isn't at the mercy of someone else who is foolishly trying to drive their own car with merely human reflexes and human awareness. And uh, in addition to that, in my vision, something like the city or some other, or maybe Uber, owns all these cars. My garage is freed up to become my workshop. Hmm. I don't look for parking spaces anymore. I go, well, I want to go downtown to the Kiva. I summon the car. And it meets me at a prearranged time, and it shows up on time because it's a robot. It's not an Uber guy who got distracted and stopped for a drink or something, right? Not that Uber... I, I should say I'm a big fan of Uber. That wasn't uh, quite fair what I just said. But Uber people Uber can get its slowed down, and or, or various things can happen, and they don't show up on time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, <laughs> sorry Uber, but... This robot driver is probably not going to mug me or assault me in any other way, right? Yeah. It's going to take me to my destination, and it's going to take me right to the door of the Kiva because it doesn't care about parking. And then it's going to drive away and go help somebody else. And when I come out, I'm not going to walk four blocks to find my car in the rain or in the cold weather. I'm just going to, It's just going to be waiting there for me, or there will be a line of them, and I'll drop, jump in, and it'll take me wherever I want to go. So the robot car system... We'll have a line of cars waiting whenever a movie empties out, or a show, or some other event empties out. Um, if I were walking on the sidewalk and had an MI, I could use my fart smartphone, my fart phone. <laughs> I could use my smartphone and summon a vehicle using a free 911 service, uh, same as there's a free 911 service on the phones anyway. And a smart car? Well, we wouldn't want a smart car. We'd want an ambulance. But let's say i have sprained my ankle or something, right? I could summon a smart car to take me to some kind of assistance. Um, also, in this case, where we don't, so we don't give up huge chunks of our city to giant parking lots because for the most part, these cars aren't parked. There's a smaller number of cars being much more fully utilized. Maintenance is not my problem. I'm not checking the oil anymore. That tire light is not my problem. You know, the fact that the generator needs replacing, not my problem anymore. Getting cheated by mechanics, not my problem anymore. Sorry, mechanics, I know most of you are honest, but it's a classic trope. And so on down the line. So getting rid of all the headaches that comes with cars, as well as the perks that comes with having your own car, in my mind, would be a very positive trade. But we're going to talk about the flip side of looking at at
0: that trade-off as well. So that's a very well-developed vision of what autonomy could look like and some of the great things that, that one could happen because of that. Yeah, you free up your garage space. You can use it for something else. All the parking. We have a huge chunk of real estate very near here. Most of this building is surrounded by parking lots and, and parking structures. Not buying car insurance anymore? Not buying car insurance. Someone's going to have to buy insurance. Yeah, the city not will. they will be me. paying
1: for it one way or the other. The per mile cost would be higher than the estimated 11 cents or whatever it is per mile now. It's actually higher than that. But it would still, in my mind, would still be a net gain because it would offload, it would free up so much of my time and attention and responsibility. Right now, today, my car is in the shop uh, because various uh, uh, attention lights came on. And uh, so my wife had to drop me off today and she'll have to pick me up later or I'll walk a few miles home, which is probably what I'll do. And, you know, those wouldn't. none of that would be my problem in this picture I'm painting.
0: Right it would look a lot like a very efficient subway system also. Yeah, yeah. But we'd be leveraging the current infrastructure that we have in terms of roads and freeing up some infrastructure with having more spaces that were currently occupied by parking structures and never having to search for a parking space again. So this is a an article written by Eric Tingwall. This is in the a Car and Driver Special Edition of How Would Fully Autonomous Cars Change Our Lives? And that's one of the things that he highlights is that we would ha- wouldn't have to bother with parking again. I had to worry about parking as I was coming in today. I don't pay for parking here at the university, so I have to worry about it. And it's you don't a- pay for parking? I don't pay for parking. Huh? What? Yeah. I it's- pay for parking. I have to it's- buy a parking pass a- every semester. So my deal, and I looked into this. Oh, ripoff! I called the UNM chief of parking services, and I explained that I work three-quarters of my shifts out in Rio Rancho. It's in a different city. Uh-huh. It's a 30-minute drive away from here. And their parking is free. So I explained that I don't park here every day, just some days, and it's also not all that predictable when I'm gonna to need to have parking here, based on my schedule. And I asked, is there something, some way that I can be accommodated in that way? And the answer was no. I've gotta pay a full price parking permit as if I was driving here and parking every single day of the work week, but that's simply not the case, and I'm not going to pay for parking. So I mentioned, that not only am I a huge fan of electric vehicles and electric cars, and I own a Tesla, but I also have an electric skateboard. So if I can't find parking, what I'll do is I'll park on the street, maybe half a mile away, and take the electric skateboard in. Oh, his electric skateboard is badass, too. I want one. Yeah, it's got ATV wheels, and it can go over obstacles. It's kind of a fun thing. The only reason I'm not getting one is I need the exercise. I'm not a mountaineer like Joe. So... Getting back to your vision, this vision of a completely autonomous world, I think that, as we mentioned, there are problems with the current regime, which is this partial autonomy. I did want to kind of go into (coughs) this this famous case, Mm -hmm. Joshua Brown. He was 40 years old. He was a big Tesla fan. He's probably a lot like me. He had bought a Tesla Model S, and he was the first fatality involving a self-driving car. And what happened to him was he was on a divided highway, uh, US 27 in Florida, but this is a highway in which there can be cross traffic that can come in and unfortunately for him a semi-trailer pulled out just as he was driving up I think he was speeding if I remember the story but bottom line is that he almost certainly was not paying attention he did not apply the brakes the semi-trailer pulled out perpendicular to his direction of traffic and the autopilot which was on also did not see the truck because there's there's a gap which is several feet underneath uh, tractor trailers. And the gap is enough that the... Oh, the LiDAR looked right under the truck. The radar and the cameras, mm. these Teslas, don't have LiDAR. They didn't. They just didn't see it. They didn't respond. They thought it was sky. And so, boom, the car drives underneath the trailer and decapitated poor Joshua Brown. So an under undercarriage... I forget, there's a word for this kind of accident that happens. It happens a lot. It doesn't just happen to autonomous vehicles, but it happens frequently enough that there's a word for it.
1: Well, the sensor problem is an easy fix. you think so. But I'd like to point out a couple of things. First of all, this car was not fully autonomous. No. Or likely this wouldn't have occurred. And uh, second of all, it took about a million miles in the prototype stage of developing this kind of software before one person died, whereas the fatality rate for humans is
0: much higher than one per million miles. Well, I certainly paid attention to this because I think that you're right. The technology can lull you into a false sense of security. The car is steering. It's braking on its own. It's doing all these things. And just like as if you had a human driver, your inclination as in one of these cars is to not pay attention. And so that is the inclination. And back in the day when Joshua Brown had this accident, and so this is I think 2016 that this happened, there were very few nags. The car would not alert you if it didn't detect that your hands were on the steering wheel. After this happened, Tesla did a number of things. They said, oh, there is a software fix. We're going to rely more on radar and less on the visual cameras because the, the white trailer was interpreted as sky, apparently, by mm. the software. So <laughs> that's great. That made me feel better. Uh, secondly, they said uh, that they're going to make the car nag you more often. It's gonna, if it detects your hands are off the steering wheel, it's going to beep at you or flashlights. So this is something that a lot of Tesla, Tesla drivers do not like because it nags you every 30 seconds now. Do- if your hands aren't on the wheel, yeah. But again, the there may be this predilection to stopping attention, take your hands off the wheel. I've I've been guilty of this. I'll just say as a as a Tesla driver who has put sixty plus thousand miles on my car, many of which are in autopilot. I used autopilot driving here today. I use it every day. I'm a big fan of it. I like this functionality. But it does have the the potential to kind of give you that false sense of security. So there's a software fix. The bummer is, just a month or two ago, there was another accident just like this one with Joshua Brown. Despite these fixes having been in Despite the place. fixes. And someone else in Florida, yeah. on a similar road, drove underneath a tractor trailer in almost the exact same way as Joshua Brown. So again, as a Tesla driver, this makes me really have to emphasize, yeah, you have to pay attention. You cannot fall asleep in these things with the current software and hardware suite. And there really is a problem. So one of the arguments that's often raised against these cars is, well, what if it makes a wrong
1: decision or what if it makes a mistake? Well, if you've ever been in a passenger in a car, what if that driver made a mistake? What if they made a wrong decision? Or if you've ever driven a car, what if you make a mistake? What if you make a wrong decision? There's two kinds of people in the world. People who have made a mistake and were lucky enough not to pay the ultimate price and people who lie about
0: having made a mistake right no car accidents are common have you been in a car accident uh, we are got broadsided
1: once uh, once I think I had a I might have had a micro sleep coming home I'm still not sure but I know I went off the road on a, on a slippery turn mm-hmm. into a, a ditch and so I fell a, dist- a vertical distance as well as going off the road and um, I'm sort of my friends regard me as quite a conservative driver well good for you well, do you see, it didn't avoid these two accidents, though. Right. And I don't think I have a million miles in my lifetime.
0: Uh, there's a reason why car insurance is expensive. That's yeah. because accidents happen. Luckily, many of them are non-lethal. Most of them are minor, the kinds of ones that you're describing. But I've gotten into some mostly minor car accidents myself. In fact, yesterday I was driving, and a <clears> car was racing down the mountain. It was on the backside of the Sandia Mountains in a Honda S2000 sports car. He was partially in my lane and kind of sliding a little bit, and I'm driving up at a normal speed. And it happened so fast, I didn't have time really to swerve or anything, but he didn't hit me. But then he overcorrected, spun 360s, smashed into the guardrail, and I'm thinking, what an idiot. (laughs) So I had to, obviously I stopped, I turned around, I went back, I made sure that they were okay. And they were, but they were standing next to their smashed up, beautiful little red sports car. Now, see, if your car had been a robot, it could have reacted fast enough.
1: Yeah. And
0: if his car had been a robot, it wouldn't have oversteered. Right. Presumably. I was not using any of the autopilot uh, functionality at that time. But, yeah. So crashes happen. There's a big economic as well as a medical cost to crashes. And the, the hope is that we'll eventually get there. I think that most early adopters of technology, people that are buying Teslas now, understand that it's imperfect technology and that it's going to get better over time. In fact, this is something that Tesla advertises is that it's going to get better over time. What they don't tell you is that sometimes there are limitations to the software and the the hardware on the car that you bought that will make it impossible to ever upgrade to a level four autonomous vehicle. So my car bought in 2015, it's never gonna get better. It's gonna have its kind of flawed. Well, it may get uh, better but it won't get to level four. It will not get to level four. My wife bought a Tesla Model 3. So mm-hmm. we are a two Tesla family. She got her blue Tesla in November of this year, or last year. And she bought, this is getting in the weeds of Tesla, but there are three different levels of autopilot that you can buy. There's the basic autopilot functionality. There's something called uh, enhanced autopilot. And then there's full self-driving. And each of these things costs money. I think they've streamlined this. There's been a bunch of price changes over the last several weeks with Tesla, but she bought the autopilot plus the enhanced autopilot that gave her car more functionality than mine has, more sensors, more computing power, the potential to do better. Then Elon Musk tweeted that there was gonna be a sale on the full self-driving. We bought it. It cost $2,700, including tax. Um, I paid for it on my wife's car because I thought it was cool. And so we've actually bought into this idea of full self-driving. I would absolutely pay for it, except is there really such
1: a thing now? I mean, full self-driving—that would tell me take your hands off the wheel and take a nap. This might be
0: dead now. Well, this might (laughs) change your opinion of me. Uh, This this might be viewed as a really really stupid thing to do because we paid for something that literally doesn't exist. Ah, you're buying into the future. Buying into the future. Okay. But the other thought is that it's going to be more expensive when it really comes out. So So what you really bought was. the a suite that allows it to be upgraded when it's ready. So they say that this also is going to require a new CPU, a new computer that I technicians will have yeah. to come and put into the car yeah. before it's really able to do this. Time will tell. I will fully admit that this purchase was totally irrational. Not only does my wife not care about self-driving and autonomy unlike me, I will be bummed if it never comes to fruition. I'm, I'm excited about it and I I bought into this vision.
1: Uh, so that's a little bit like the um, a bit of a GoFundMe model on Tesla's part. Oh, totally. About it. Yeah, they All get right. the money up front. So I'd like to mention a discussion that's occurred around these. Uh, these cars have to be programmed to make snap decisions faster than they can consult you on. These are the autonomous cars yet that aren't quite here, but that's what we're talking right. about today. So you're driving along and a group of school kids chases a soccer ball into the street. Your car has to decide, should I swerve to avoid the kids potentially killing my driver? Mm. Well, passenger, actually, wouldn't be a driver anymore.
0: This is the trolley problem. Or
1: do I plow through the kids because my first duty is to my passenger? And the public, in in various um, surveys, have responded really interestingly to this. A lot of people are saying, I want my car to make me the number one priority. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, you don't. And here's why. You... There's there's a principle of fairness that if we're going to divide a cake, I will cut it and you will take the first piece. I think you should write every rule as if you don't know which side of it you're going to be on later. And the odds that you will be at risk from an oncoming car, for most of us, are greater than the odds that I'll be the passenger in the car that's going to kill someone else. Pedestrians are far more at risk from cars than drivers are. When a car swerves to avoid those kids... It might kill the driver, but it's not that likely. But if it doesn't swerve, it's essentially a guarantee it's going to kill some kids. So no, you're actually safer with a car that would protect the pedestrian over the passenger
0: if you don't know at the time the rules are written which side of the steering wheel you'll be on. Well, that's a good point. So the idea here, I think, is what you're getting at, is that you could program an autonomous car to ideally never kill anybody in right. order to overall minimize the likelihood of death. Uh, if death, death is inevitable, you could program it so there will be the least numbers of death, mm-hmm. but that might increase the death on the part of the person inside the car. Most people wouldn't buy a car, I think, that would, that would have, that, have that programming.
1: Well, that's what the surveys say. Now, right. in one scenario, you could have four people in the car and one pedestrian on the road, in which case the car runs down the pedestrian. In another scenario, you could have four pedestrians on the road, one person in the car, in which case the car will swerve and put the passenger at risk. But uh, you're right, most people, and this is an example, so I said we'd come back to evolution. Mm -hmm. Our brains aren't wired to deal with problems like this. These Uh, game theoretical kinds of models? These game theoretical kinds of models, uh, or what's now called, and I love this term, uh, experimental philosophy. Uh, really the experiment is what happens when we ask people about these moral dilemmas. It's not really what happens in the world if we put these moral rules into place, although it could eventually become that. These autonomous cars are going to have to be programmed to make some of these ethical choices in split seconds without consulting the passengers. And for some people, this is a really unnerving possibility. It should unnerve us. It definitely should. You
0: know, This reminds me. It doesn't unnerve me. I don't think we can make cars stupider than people are. Well, I, I think you're probably right. So <laughs> this, this idea of making a computer or human choose between different scenarios in which there are different probabilities of different numbers of people dying and what will they choose. The, fa- the famous version of this is called the trolley problem. Yes. You can look it up. You can just look it up on Wikipedia. We can and, discuss it. And, and, and figure it out. But uh, at the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting that I went to, this is back in October. We did have a session on autonomous cars because they're kind of like zombies. Yeah. They, they're undead. They're unalive. And they can make decisions that can either kill you or keep you alive. And there was a speaker that came. I don't have this with me right now. But the speaker came, and he had done this, these game theoretic mod- models asking people, in large numbers of people, what they would do in different scenarios. So they're humans. Asking them what they would do. And he had, you know... In this situation, there's four young children and one elderly male. He'd had all kinds of different permutations of this and then kind of played it all out and presented these data. I'll see if I can look up some of his results. I remember being very interested uh, in in the idea. But we are uncomfortable with these decisions. They're difficult. And we're even more uncomfortable with the idea that a computer might be making the decisions for us. I think for now... This is still a theoretic problem. The trolley problem doesn't come up very often. So ninety percent of us think we're in the top ten percent of
1: drivers. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that people overestimate their own competence versus a computer, uh, and certainly computers do fail us from time to time. Actually, um, that's right. It's you know it's pretty obvious that computers are faster than us, can crank more uh, permutations faster than we can, and blah blah blah. Let's talk about some real potential problems with computers. What about the possibility of somebody hacking the system?
0: Yeah, so there's two things. So I think people are uncomfortable with a computer driving your car because we've all had that experience of the blue screen of death or the little spinning pinwheel on an Apple computer where your computer freezes up and doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, there needs to be some kind of fail-safe, like some sort of subroutine that will automatically pull over and park if the computer goes down or something. They must have these fail-safes because I'm not aware of that ever happening. Uh, You know... Even internal combustion engine cars now have computers. Mm-hmm. But they're designed in such a way that we don't hear about cars crashing or just bricking as you're driving down the road. At least it doesn't happen very often, thank goodness. Yeah,
1: I think a, you know, some kind of backup CPU with its own uh, resident uh, yeah. battery or something, that's not a difficult technical
0: problem. You yeah. know. And then your second point has to do with hacking. And mm-hmm. I think this is a good one there's all this promise of having an interconnected transportation world in which all vehicles speak to each other that could virtually eliminate accidents, in theory. But it does create a vulnerability. Any, kind, any networked group of computers has the potential to be hacked. And hacker,
1: hackers have clearly shown that they'll do malicious things like this, some of them, some subset of them, will do malicious things like this just to demonstrate that they can
0: yeah, uh, Tesla famously took part in a ha- hackathon. They called, they called the hackers something else, like security engineers. I forget what, the, what euphemism they used for that. But it was called Pwn pon to Own. Pwn is spelled P-W-N, and it's a hacking term. The bottom line is that a group of hackers that was called fluoroacetate won the hacking contest. They successfully hacked into a Tesla Model 3, which is their newest technology, and they won the car, and they won a prize that went along with this. So at least the manufacturers are aware that this is a real problem.
1: Mm -hmm. The problem is for these cars to live up to their promise, they have to be very connected.
0: And if they're very connected, it's going to create vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So the zombie meeting I mentioned, this, this happened... In October, we've mentioned it on this podcast. I still can't find the speaker who I'm looking through the, the the talks here. We had lots of good stuff. I'll find it and we'll put it on the on the blog. Um, but autonomous cars did go into this and I want to put this on people's calendar. We're going to have another zombie apocalypse medical meeting Oh I want to go. It's going to happen in 2020. It's already on the books. It's going to happen in Tempe, Arizona. October 15th through 18th, 2020, Arizona State University. What's remarkable about this meeting is autonomous cars and autonomous tech was just one tiny piece of this. It was so crazily interdisciplinary involving artists and authors and cinematographers, filmmakers, basic scientists, neuroscientists, tech specialists. It was so all over the place. Yeah, it had this, this theme of kind of losing control and what happens when our, when our bodies or brains are being manipulated by other things or technology. There was a speaker who talked about how our screens have zombified us. Anyway, I'll, I could go on about the zombie conference. Suffice to say, put it on your calendars. It's a great meeting.
1: Yeah. yeah uh, actually, I wouldn't mind doing a podcast around that, too. I don't really want it to become today's because we don't have enough time That's left right. to really go into it. But I think uh, some of the ways in which uh, biological zombieism occurs, some of the ways in which uh, technology actually hijacks our cognitive functions, uh, electronic addictions and And so forth. And does so
0: by design.
1: By design, yeah. It's built in. Yeah, people are sitting around going, how can we make this more addictive? And they're succeeding. Right. So, yeah, I, I, let's make that
0: another podcast. I think it'd be great. We can talk about addiction generally. Why are our
1: brains prone to addiction at all?
0: Yeah, so the opioid idea and the idea that we can be addicted by various cues that come through our phones Is and it curable? demand our Is it epigenetic? attention. Oh, these questions are so exciting. Come they're, back and learn. So good. Well, let's just see if, if there's something that we haven't talked about. I mentioned, as a Tesla fanboy that I am, that. Now Tesla has functionality to allow it to see stoplights. This, this is a benefit that we should see rolling out to my wife's car, that it should see stoplights. Currently it doesn't. It, it seems doesn't like
1: almost lights, a no-brainer, although in the world, I imagine, it doesn't need to see the stoplights because they'll also transmit a radio signal telling the car what they're doing.
0: Well, but you also, that'd be great, Right. It wouldn't take that much additional investment just to have little tiny trans- transponders and s- traffic lights also mm-hmm. at intersections at various places. So you can't imagine a future world in which the overall system is far more integrated. I also imagine better. RFIDs in the road.
1: Right. So that even if there's a problem with GPS someday or, mm-hmm. or your computer had to reboot, for example, or something, it knows right where, when it wakes up. It knows exactly where it is and which way it's facing because of RFID in the road. And uh, if you want to go to a certain address, that address is RFID in the pavement or the curb right in front of your house. Yeah. So your friend gets to your house.
0: There's different ways to do this. So that'd be one way. Yeah. The other way is to use GPS mm-hmm. and use internal maps. And the third is to have a, a predominantly visual system that relies mostly on cameras. Mm-hmm. And that is Elon Musk's main vision. He uses a bit of the mapping also. But the argument is that we humans can make do with two cameras and he's got a car with eight cameras, it can do as well or better than a human?
1: I wouldn't see it as either or. Mm-hmm. So th- uh, we're going to get back to comparing it to human biology, by the way. right? So I would use multiple senses, and part of the reason for that is that if one of them gets confused, the others can act as calibrators. Well, wait, that can't be right, because my other senses are telling me this. However, in humans, when your inner ear, for example, and your eye disagree about your position or movement, you get vertigo. Mm-hmm. So you know, the software for resolving conflicts between right. the different inputs will need to be such that your car doesn't get vertigo when when these conflicts occur.
0: But, but one of the hedges against hacking would be is a good
1: the hacker may be telling me I'm headed the right way on the road when really I'm headed into oncoming traffic. But my cameras
0: will say, nope, there's traffic coming. I need to get out of the way. Yeah, this this idea, though, of some computer version of vertigo where we have mismatching data coming from mm-hmm. body sensors, or in case, this case machine sensors, can absolutely lead to problems. This is what we think has led to the Lion Air crash, the recent oh, uh-huh. 737 the MAX problems. 8 crashes that have occurred. That's almost certainly what's happened. And then the, the disconnect between what the autonomous system is saying and what your human eyes and ears are feeling uh, can lead to even additional problems.
1: That and the fact that the FAA let Boeing do its own certification.
0: Absolutely. Duh,
1: who could have seen that one coming? Yeah. Way to go, FAA!
0: So we need to, self-regulation, probably not a good idea. Absolutely not a good idea when it comes to new pharmaceuticals. Not a good idea when it comes to machines that can kill hundreds of people at a time, like aircraft. <laughs> yeah. And not a good idea when it comes to aut- autonomy. So there's going to be a big regulatory push to do this in the right way. And the- we don't know. What the right way is.
1: I think Boeing is a big solid company and I think now might be a great time to buy Boeing stock. But Maybe. allowing people to self-regulate, you know, the next time somebody talks about over-regulation, just look them in the eye and say, "Boeing." <laughs> excellent point, <laughs> excellent point.
0: Well, let's uh, bring it back in the last minute or two here to the stick shift idea. All so right. again, the author in this New York Times piece is saying, hey, let's go back to stick shifts. Let's avoid all these technologies that do things for us. Let's become more involved in the, mid- the operation of our cars. The problem is it's not going to happen. People gave up stick shifts. The majority of cars went to automatic transmissions decades ago now. And in fact, if you have a stick shift, they're hard to sell. I've had this experience myself. I've also seen studies that show the automatics outperform human drivers. There's that too. But people are gonna want and desire more safety and autonomous features. People I think these days would much rather be on their phones checking their Twitter account or their Facebook feed than driving their car, by and large. I think this is across the board. There are a few people who are driving enthusiasts who will say, come hell or high water, I wanna be in control of my car. No way, I'm gonna let a computer do it for me. But they're really in the minority. So there is this tide moving in this direction. And we can hem and haw and talk about the pros and cons. And I think we need to be clear-eyed about that. But the other thing we should be clear-eyed about is that this is almost certainly going to happen one way or the other.
1: You know, I remember that one of the uh, in the early days of computing, the idea was that as they unloaded mundane cognitive tasks, it would free us up to be more creative and more intellectual. And that mm-hmm. is not what happened. The Internet became the greatest instrument of misinformation of all time. And basically... Um, the misinformation basically,
0: superhighway.
1: As our brains get freed up to do other things, it turns out that what we want to do is eat nachos, watch reruns of old baseball games, and find out what the Kardashians are up to.
0: Yeah. So one of this, one of the articles about how fully autonomous cars might change our lives is the spare tire problem. And it's not for the car. The idea is that this will cause us to gain weight if we have a fleet of autonomous cars that can take us anywhere that we want to go.
1: I don't know. Would we drive more than now? I mean, people who want to drive, drive. And... I, I've wondered will. about that, too, if it would make people spend more time in a car than
0: we do now. I think the answer is yes. So that's another unintended consequence. When you model these things out, you might, you might imagine that everything else is going to stay the same, but we're going to add on this autonomous feature. But there's going to be all these add-on and unanticipated changes, yep. as yep. you mentioned, like what happened with the Internet and with computers. Mm-hmm. These are certainly going to happen, and not all of them are going to be positive. One of the potentially negative things is as you decrease the personal cost of driving, both economic and attention-wise, it makes driving easier. This is almost certainly going to make people drive more. I really think this is going to happen, which is going to cause, exacerbate the sprawl problem. So hyper-sprawl was another thing mentioned in this Tingwell article in Car and Driver. People will put more miles on on the highway system and increase the stress of the overall transportation network. It might happen. As usual, Joe, you've left me with more questions than we started with, but that is what I enjoy about these. Okay, maybe we'll have another discussion. I think that we've at least identified thinking about our neurocognitive vulnerabilities to hacking, manipulation, addiction as an area for a future podcast. Well, thanks, Coffee. It was a good time as always. Always a pleasure, sir.